So, okay. so we'll be very calm, and we'll just we'll first we'll go to our happy places, and we'll take deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. <sighs> deep breaths, right? Follow me in through the nose, out through the mouth, and just try to remain totally serene. Uh, think about the th five things around you that you can see, that you can hear, that you can touch. Uh, just really center your- Hello and welcome to this very calm and collected episode <laughs> of Trash Future, the podcast that you're listening to right now. Probably with white knuckles if you're in the UK and wondering why everyone in the UK is so mad if you're part of our substantial US audience. Uh, I and To you, I say, maybe loosen the grip on your penis. It's not good for it. <laughs> I, am, I, I am Riley. I am doing an arm, and you may remember me from every previous episode. I'm joined in the quarantine virtual reality zone uh, by Alice in sunny, undisclosed location. Yeah. Just like the simulations. Uh, I'm, I'm doing my best to keep everyone calm and happy and centered in themselves at this time of strife. Uh, I am also joined by Hussein, who is in his virtual reality mecca. Yeah, uh, we're like circling around the living room like it's the Kaaba. And I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed Alice's guided meditation. I thought it was very useful. I, oh god, I really want a Kaaba Zoom background. That'd be uh, awesome. We also have Milo, undisclosed location as well. Hi, it's me, Milo from Yoga with Adrian. Uh, and we have <laughs> we have Nate with from Yoga with Tim. Hi, it's me, Nate. First time back on for a while because I've been editing the nightmare nightmare of all of the remote recordings put together. Takes a little bit of time, but I couldn't miss this one. Despite, and I'm not joking, having something of a throat injury from vaping too hard. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, Long time editor, first time caller. And I think now joined by someone making her official appearance as being on the podcast most, uh, Eleanor Penny. <gasps> oh, I'm so honored. Yeah. Yeah. Um, much like the overwhelming existential dread that we're saturated in, I am available at very short notice these days. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming everyone. on. We're here to we're here to talk about uh, obviously five G and the effect it's having on all of our brains. I don't. Know, Matt Hancock is releasing a new tracking app for the coronavirus. I think we're here to talk about that. But no, <laughs> oh hell yeah! Now here's the thing. I we have a very tight episode today about five G and coronavirus stuff. But um, I, I so I hope we don't get sidetracked into another topic, uh, by our favorite spiked columnist who's dropped by to say a few words. Yes, um, I've had a, a Brendan O'Neill. Obviously, is social distancing, but he's emailed this in to me because he's um he's been following current events with interest. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this out on his behalf. <clears throat> This week, the chattering classes of this once great nation have been alight with discussion of one topic alone. But no, it was not the closure of pubs or the curbing of one man's basic right to cough on another. No, it was the leaked Labour Party report into anti-Semitism. The Stalinist Trotskyites of Juche, North Islington, were enraged that some Labour Party officials had been referring to them as Trotskyite Stalinists. But I find their outrage hard to comprehend. Surely this was merely party officials trying to use their beloved correct pronouns. <laughs> Indeed. 
It seems in truth their rancor stemmed from the fact that people from the sensible centrist wing of the Labour Party, which was behind successful middle-of-the-road compromises such as the Iraq War, were refusing (laughs) to assist their absolute boy Jeremy Corbyn in winning the election. But why should they? They don't agree with him and they don't like him. So why should they have to help get him elected simply because the membership of the party pays them a six-figure salary to do so? This is an infringement (laughs) on their freedom of speech. And if Jeremy Corbyn and his shakshuka Sandinistas had truly wanted to win, they would simply have defeated them in the marketplace of ideas. The real thorny issue, though, for the Arborio Antifa of Finsbury Park was that the report contained hard evidence that the ongoing scandal about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party was, in fact, exaggerated, and actions to stop anti-Semitism had been deliberately slowed down by centrists in the party who wanted Jeremy Corbyn to look bad. The risotto red army puce with rage, like their favourite flag, that the same people who were constantly briefing the media that Jeremy Corbyn was an anti-Semite were themselves deliberately abetting anti-Semitism in the party, claiming that they can't possibly have ever truly cared about anti-Semitism at all. But this is sophistry. What if they cared about anti-Semitism so much that they realised they had to do some in order to prevent more of it? If you can't... (laughs) If you can't be against something and still support it, then how could we have spent years sanctioning Iran for being a despotic Islamic theocracy while selling arms to Saudi Arabia? The loony left hasn't even considered this due to their narrow worldview. Indeed, the fact that the quinoa KGB want to talk about this at all now, when we should be focusing on what films Boris is watching during his heroic recovery, is selfish. How can it be that during the election they bemoaned that every question Corbyn was asked was about anti-Semitism, and yet now they themselves want to ask questions about it, just because hard evidence of a deliberate bad faith conspiracy against them has been revealed? It's all too convenient. If there is a lesson to learn from this for leftists, it is this. Believing that things can be better or less cruel is pointless and a moral failing. Having beliefs and principles will never defeat the powerful minds of centrism who have realised that politics isn't about believing in things, but about doing all sorts of underhanded skullduggery to undermine the possibility of anything good happening in order to make sure that nothing happens instead and being paid £100,000 to do so. That is the free market. (laughs) (laughs) The loony left refused to accept they were beaten fair and square allowing only their revisionist narrative simply because it is based on factual evidence that 50% of anti-Semitism complaints were made by one man. We do not know the exact number of complaints they allege he made, but, dear reader, I suspect it was 1,984. <laughs> Thank you. Bellissima. Oh, my. We love to see it. Can I just say, I just say before we start that, like, when um, there was another Brendan column from last week where, like, a genuine one in Spiked, where he uses the term chattering classes. Yeah. Mm. Right. Uh, very, oh, yes. very, very, very special moment. Mm-hmm. He's becoming more like Milo's Brendan with every passing day. It's true. It's like the prestige. <laughs> Milo has, Milo has a deep Have you ever him. seen them in the same room? Mm. <laughs> right, I haven't. Have anyone ever? Brendan and I are going to have to pilot a Jaeger yeah. together. Has anyone ever measured Milo's skull to see if it is indeed uh, <laughs> as big as Brendan's cartoon? No. So, what we are talking about today is we are talking about the leaked report, actually not just on anti-Semitism, but anti-Semitism forms a big part of it, on uh, the labor, uh, on the the factions within the Labour Party that um, worked against the leader of the opposition's office. Uh, throughout uh, the throughout, from 2015 until 2018, uh, this document mm. was uh, leaked. Although apparently Starmer had it for a week, and uh, 
Jesus. Do much about it. Now I'm even angrier. And apparently was going to promote one of the people <laughs> named as one of the uh, active conspirators against labor to the position that Jenny Formby currently holds. So awesome. Awesome. Great. Cool. Anyway. Fantastic. Lo- love to see that. So uh, what, we, what we're looking at is the, the relationship between the leader's office, uh, labor headquarters, which deals with things like campaigning and, and party strategy, uh, and, and which includes the governance and legal unit. Um, where, which is yeah, where the labor deep state, yeah, effectively, which is where these complaints go, which is where complaints about people, so like complaints about racism, for example, or sexual harassment or whatever, they tend to go there. Um, and so when we say labor anti-Semitism report, we mean really one part of a much larger report that's being talked about in the media largely as the anti-Semitism report. I think about it as yeah, and the, it, it, it's the report. The report is going to was going to the Equality and Human Rights Commission. That was that was what it was for. Yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be concluded as an annex, and the word got got out that they had decided not to. That labor labor lawyers, basically lawyers for the Labor Party, had said that it was outside the scope of investigation. Uh, but then it once it leaked, uh, some other potential motives appeared. Out of mm. the ether. Mm. Were, Very interesting. Were, I love that. I love that brand new euphemism for a complete fucking car crash. <laughs> Outside the scope of the investigation. Brilliant. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about is the contents of this report, which are all about how Labor HQ essentially worked to keep Labor from being a functioning party. And by stopping its uh, the handling of complaints, by misdirecting funds during elections, and by essentially being completely horrible to everyone there. Yeah, I find- the, the, the cliff notes of this episode are, who would have thought that being proven right would make us all so angry? <laughs> uh, but before we, before we get into the contents of the report, I'd like to do a, start with a little note on how the report was leaked, uh, which is that uh, it basically a cache of WhatsApp messages that was from a WhatsApp group inside Labor HQ, this... Uh, unelected, paid party bureaucrat organization was accidentally forwarded by one of the Labor HQ wreckers to their own work email, therefore putting it in the scope of the investigation into how Labor was handling its anti-Semitism issues. Oops. Whoops. Oops. How do I open Oopsie. PDF? Oh, spaghetti. Yeah, literally, literally, I can't believe they won and we got outflanked until the very last moment by a bunch of boomers who were just trying to plot on their work phones. <laughs> Uh, it's like yeah. the, the the political distinctions are no longer those between left and right, but between those who can and cannot unlock a PDF. It's yes, <laughs> yes, we're literally they're like they're, they're, they're all tapping on their shitty phones, thinking they're Malcolm Tucker, and just inadvertently mm. sending the entire plot to everyone with a Labour Party email address. Awesome. <laughs> Typing my memoirs line by line into the Google search bar and pressing pressing enter, thinking that it's saving them. <laughs> all I'm going to say is that we like we're now like we're we're all owned and we're all co- corn cobs, but there is something like kind of poetic about how much like the like young leftists who understand tech and social media really invested that into um trying to get like trying to get like a better government and trying to get Corbyn into power, and it was hmm. all undone by a bunch of guys who were trying to take photos of their ass and like. 
Send, kept sending it to their work email. <laughs> yeah, that is literally true. But it's on the other hand, it's so we just funny. Got, like, we just got owned have, in every way. Yeah. But it's so funny that you have this like perfect plan to unseat Corbin. Like beautiful in its intricacy. And it's the perfect heist and as they're walking away from the casino, like they just fucking leak all of the emails. <laughs> the, the most from hell's heart, Seamus Milne stabs at the labor plotters. I, I think we need to answer an urgent question. <laughs> Which is why the paid party apparatchiks of the Labour and Democratic Party, none of them can use computers and constantly unveil all of their like disdain for and plots against the yeah, left and by that, accidentally that opening so email weird. attachments. They were, like all of these people were like sending emails like, "Ah, uh, all of the Corbyn people, they're so unprofessional. They don't wear ties. They don't wear bras, and all of this kind of like vulgar abuse, making fun of their hair and the way that they smell." Wait, so uh, Jeremy Corbyn mm. should have worn a bra. That's yeah, what they're saying. That's true. He should have done that. <laughs> Uh, but at like, least one, yes. Yeah, and and then for all of that, at least they fucking knew how to fucking BCC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yep, that's it. We just, 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 hey, hey, Jack, how do I open PDF? It sank both, <laughs> and you know what it is. And don't don't forget, by the way, this did nothing to the de- the the people in control of the Democratic Party. They got like some, huh. they got some concessions on superdelegates, and that's it. So don't expect many concessions from this. This is basically just mm. you being told that, yep, you're right. The Labour Party was trying to destroy Corbyn's chances of being elected by basically like being a Lenin, a, by almost taking like Leninist or Trotskyist tactics of infiltrating yeah, the worst, and, take, the and taking over the uh, organization from the inside. So embarrassing. It's, it's, so it's, embarrassing. I cannot stress enough how bad it is, right? Like, if you read this, some of the stuff in there, some of the things that they were saying is stuff that, like, a year ago, I would have been like, oh, that's a little bit crank for me. That's a little bit squawk box or a little bit the canary to be like, ah, oh, the, the fucking deep state are just sending WhatsApp messages being like, oh, the Corbyn people look ugly. It's, it's really challenging my ability to, like, twist reality back into some kind of sensible shape and like because the horrifying like ouroboros of like self-perpetuating madness that is that is currently going on because i've spent like the past year basically doing um like anti-semitism awareness trainings a lot of which talk about the language of conspiracy theories and how Hmm. that often elides with traditional long-standing tropes that feed into um, anti-Semitic narratives that a lot of people don't realise are anti-Semitic narratives, and I feel really, really undermined by the fact that there was an actual fucking conspiracy going on this whole time, and not just that, but by the most incompetent people in the world. Yeah, it's apart from everything else, it's just horrible optics. Oh wait, sorry, lads, hang on. I've just got this email from Ian McNichol. Apparently, if I don't forward it to fifteen people in the next twenty minutes, I'm not going to have sex for six years. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go through this, uh, and there's quite a bit here. So we're going to start with uh, some of the stuff, the uh, the rationale, the disdain for policies, elected officials, and members that were being held by the people at Labour HQ in a section I've titled A Hip Refresh of the Party for the 90s, which which must happen forever or else. So... Hmm. Things can only get better. Oh, God. So... (laughs) And how true they were. um, So, Hmm. basically, first of all, uh, the Labour staffers quoted in the report are incredibly contemptuous of a mild rise in corporation tax, for example, 
uh, or they're incredibly contemptuous and afraid, in fact, of uh, doing things like nationalizing rail, whereas two thirds of the public were for these things. Uh, and so two thirds of the public would be dismissed by this group of labor staffers as uh, unelectable trots who only care about uh, ideological purity and not, you know, getting into power. Yeah, th- th- there's a weird monomaniacal thing where they call everything a trot, and it's so weird to call to call Corbyn, who is like a kind of the, like a moderate social democrat, a trot. Is like it's so seventies factional, even from the Labour Party. It's like mm. all of these people are like feverishly wanking themselves off to Neil Kinnock's conference speech, where he talks about a Labour council, and it's just the world has gone past them, and yet they're still able to exercise all of this power. Yeah, apart from weirdly, when they've got diarrhea, they referred to it as the Stalins. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this they're not just contemptuous of these of these policies and contemptuous of the electorate that seems to that like when polled wants them they also have a real hard on for the idea of war so here is a quote uh this is a the labor hq's reaction to corbyn's speech after the manchester arena attack so to be clear labor hq is a different it's a different sub-organization in a different building than like the leader of the opposition's office so they were like a a party within a party so this is their reaction to Corbyn's speech after the Manchester Arena attacks, which, as we recall, was a popular speech, um, and what was about, hey, let's not use this as a pretext to go bomb somewhere. Uh, he, he uh, this staffer says, my fears are that a the speech won't go down badly uh, because of the large groundswell of ill-informed opposition to Western interventions. <laughs> And B, that they will use the, that poll to claim they were on course to win and then Manchester happened. And whether or not JC goes, lots of the membership will buy that argument. So just look at that first one. I think that this speech about how we shouldn't do war won't go down as badly as it deserves to, thanks to the large groundswell of ill-informed opposition to Western intervention. Ill-informed- the, the, Manchester, the Manchester Arena bomber, Salman Abedi, was... Uh, he was shipped to Libya by MI6 and then returned to the UK. That sounds pretty ill-informed, uh, Alice. Hmm. You love to see that. I mean, famously, <laughs> ISIS have taken a very firm line on Ariana Grande. <laughs> but I mean, he, he literally, he was, he was walked through the airport coming and going by British intelligence officers, but that in order to facilitate a Western intervention. I, I, I just, I, speechless. Speechless. This is why I'm actually actively a little bit jealous of the level of brain rot that is is rampant through the ranks of the Labour right, because I feel like if I was so infested with the same cantankerous worms of hatred and forgetfulness, I would have a much better time. Because it's this like vacuous psychopathology that the cause of all of everything that's wrong is people having ideas. Like imagine, imagine the comfort of like a collective mind that's wiped so spotless of any fucking thought or content that you can just like luxuriate in the idea that any change is bad. Therefore, everything must currently be fine. It's like some weird mathematical puzzle where like two negatives make a positive, and if you're opposing the opposition, 
well then what does that make it makes you a fucking arsehole and that's just maths but they all the, the problem <laughs> is right like to our american listeners you will be intimately familiar with the like the psychogeography of the west wing lib right we had kind of a disservice here in that the equivalent for for our libs was the thick of it a show in which malcolm tucker a government spin doctor just kind of is the smart guy who abuses everyone around him in a like an amusing way and all of these people think that they're Malcolm Tucker and they think that everyone else is a kind of puppet for them to deploy sick owns on and they, they they can never fucking land them either but they still try and they tell people to like cock off behind their back in private messages it's awesome oh yeah the the level of insults in this report is just dire uh, oh where, mate you're a fucking cock waffle in it well they it's basic because they they all watched the the thick of it and then they were like ah. Oh, Pube head. I bet Malcolm Tucker would call someone a pube head, and then lo and mm. behold, they just seem like they're eight. And yet we had a bunch of eight-year-olds running the party bureaucracy. And, and also, they they looked at a show that was consciously and purposefully about how shallow and vacuous and pointless and insular and navel gazing politics have become through the Blair years, and were like, yes, that another one, yes, mm. exactly. It, it really is just like the thick of it. I, I, in fact, I think that's one of Simon Hedges', Simon Hedges best tweets. tweets. So here's another, yeah. here's another tweet about uh, just sort of contemptuousness for reality, where one staffer who then went, to go on, went on to go work at People's Vote said, what are we expecting after the Chilcot inquiry? A lot of abuse for pro-war MPs? Oh no! Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but what if? Damn, the much maligned war lobby. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm assuming that the other three horsemen similarly have their lobbies. Yeah, um, things have been bad for the pestilence lobby There's recently. There's a reason why these these people right love the thick of it and not in the loop, which is the movie that uh, Yanucci made as a sequel to it, in which the, they so these cast of bumbling idiots start the Iraq war, and for a brief moment, the like horror and futility of what they've done overtakes them. Uh, of that doesn't, I think, ever occur to them. It, they're just, they live in the thick of it forever. That's hauntology. Well, they didn't find that one as realistic, because in In the Loop, one of them gets laid. Yeah. So here's, mm. here's what I'm imagining. Uh, so it's it's a, a TV commercial, Soft music comes on, and there is long, lingering video footage of like a bombed-out refugee camp. And you're told that for less than the cup, for less than the price of a cup of coffee a day, you can make sure that this keeps happening. Support a pro-war MP. <laughs> <laughs> um, support the pro-war MP, or you're a cum teapot. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm I am fascinated by that psychology. I get I do, you know, it's awful and disgusting, but I kind of get logically speaking being in favor of individual wars. But just just the delightful chaotic um abandon of just being like generally in favor of war. Yeah. Just to fuck around and find out. Yeah. It's war. Might, might dick about because, to start a because war. Because being in favor of things that are good is unrealistic. So you have to be in favor of the best of the things that are bad. Uh and that never it's changes. It's called being a grown-up. It's very British. Like our politicians are fundamentally insufficiently pro-misery and therefore they must perish. It's like extremely British. Not even mm. in British, it's extremely English. Uh, so I'm going to go on a little bit here. Uh, they also, not only do they have contempt for everything you want, uh, in terms of, say, 
just a slightly cheaper train fare or not to be involved in a war. They also... Wait, they have contempt for feet pics? They have contempt for, they have contempt <laughs> for all of it. Uh, they also had an incredible amount of sort of sneering contempt for everybody who was involved at the leader's office. For example, one of them saying that they were going to inform a, again, labor-hostile journalist named Michael Crick uh, that Diane Abbott was crying in a loo because of all the death threats she received uh, oh, in cool. order to, you know, make fun of her. Hmm. Diane Abbott, they're the first female black MP. Yes, that's and right. Y- yeah, the, 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 the most senior uh, minority figure in the Corbyn leadership. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I presume um, the death threats were from all her constituents who were really upset that she wasn't generally pro-war. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't a pro-war enough MP. Yeah, so, you know, for question mark, I don't know, just to keep, like, the government stupid and cruel so they can feel like grown-ups and Malcolm Tucker, I am lost for words. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think that any transformative project in this country will not be complete unless Diane Abbott is allowed to slap at least one person a day, like three of legal consequences. It is the very least that we owe her. Yeah, Diane Abbott, people's commissar, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Diane Abbott should be the only person allowed to drink on the tube. Yeah. <laughs> take, take all the powers that currently are invested in the police and give them all to Diane Abbott. <laughs> now, yeah, she should have a taser. We should give Diane Abbott a taser. But she's not allowed to delegate them. No, it it's just be her <laughs> personally. Yeah. Uh, and, and another example, um, uh, the... Th- when discussing a well-attended rally of the Labour Party campaign in 2017 in the Union Chapel in Islington, uh, staff joked about how funny it would be to, quote, knock out some trots with some truncheons or water cannons. Uh, and that's something Alice said earlier. They are obsessed with trots and they love the violent imagery of the thick of it. I don't think any of these, any of these weaklings could actually, you know, do anything. No, I think they just no, love fantasizing about it. Like they're they're all like hiding behind an enormous clipboard and like pl- asking the police to please do some violence. <laughs> like the the main problem with the report is not that these people can't bench. But I like that attitude. <laughs> yeah, they, if they had got more swole, we would respect them more. Yeah, you can't exactly. send you can't send a WhatsApp message like truncheons out, lads. Let's knock some trots, which is verbatim, by the way. And then like mm. look like you're a hundred and ten pounds soaking wet. Yeah, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am not afraid. That's why, of these that's people, why people don't talk me. shit to Aaron Bastani because he's jacked. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We will only respect you if you have, like, distinct pectoral muscles. So they're obsessed with trots, viewing everyone to the left of Gordon Brown as a trot, and referring to operations to purge the membership as trot bashing or trot hunting, and when certain members of the Labour right got too cozy with Corbyn, they were shut out of the group and referred to as trots. <laughs> I would also add that when they hired uh, a, a person who I suppose I can't name, uh, but he was the person who was... Primarily in charge with assessing uh, complaints against members and obviously is heavily implicated with regard to how they handled complaints of anti-Semitism. He was chosen uh, because he had experience working in printing flyers for national headquarters. I'm not kidding. His job was printing printing flyers. Uh, He was chosen over... Uh, John Landsman's son, who has a law degree and is a practicing barrister, uh, because primarily for factional reasons. And when he was hired, he was told in his initial interview or in his, in his, his on-the-job training that his job was trot hunting. Cool. That's it. Great. 
And so, as you can tell, that's what led, that was what led their focus as far as who to, whose behavior to police, who to kick out, who to actually take serious when it comes to punishing people. It was supporters of Jeremy Corbyn, people who use the word Blairite as a pejorative, um, people who... Warmonger. Who, people, people who's people who yeah, would, yeah, if who, you said who warmonger, to Mike Gapes for supporting the war. Yeah, if, well, if, even if just, you said just, war criminal, I think was a specifically prescribed term. We love war crimes, but we don't like language. <laughs> tough on war fine. crimes, exactly. tough on the causes of war crimes. The thing is, you have to hate the war crime, not the war criminal. Mm. There are no, there are no war crimes, really. There are only war mistakes. <laughs> if only someone had hugged a hoodie for Marine A. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what I find very interesting, though, if you look at all of this, right, the activity of an, an unelected group of like of people pulling all the like handles of, of party power and labor HQ uh, who were doing so without regard for what the membership or the leadership or indeed the electorate actually wanted, who were all um, nostalgic for the politics of a bygone age, just that this age happened to be the 1990s and endlessly splitting with one another over with one another over various like minor factional and ideological disagreements about like whether Blair said, you know, peace and freedom in the Middle East or peace through freedom in the Middle East. They are Trotskyists. They are Trotskyists. They're just oh, liberal he's Trotskyists. He's doing the turn. You're doing like you're doing a Zizek thing where you're yes. like liberal communists. They are basically liberal Trotskyists. They're Trotskyists for the glory of Blair. <laughs> that is absolutely Trotskyist shit. I, I mean, on the level of secrecy, the one they've accidentally slightly glossed Blair with a tiny pattern of respectability in that he was the only one who actually came out and said it. Being like, yes. I hate him. I don't want Corbyn to win. I don't want mm -hmm. Labour to win. And I would prefer a Conservative government. I was like, oh, um, it's uh, amazing. Off. I guess, uh, you know, I, at least he has the kind of like the honesty to be like, okay, we know our enemy. We, uh, we can treat this as the factional war that it is instead of couching it for five years <laughs> under the umbrella of like electability and like party unity. Uh, Every single day, every single week, we were hearing like, oh, you can't do anything unless you're in government. And it turns out that that was precisely what they thought, but they didn't want to do anything. So they wanted to by no means get elected in case they were actually forced to make some changes. Hmm. Um, and yeah, the, the fact that I've, I don't know, it feels, it feels personal because, you know, the anti-Semitism thing. And it also feels like weirdly, incidentally personal to me in that I've kind of been like ritually humiliated on national television multiple times by people who were like, but what about Tom Watson's legitimate concerns about anti-Semitism in the party? And I just reading through the report, <laughs> just see, is he just kind of watching that just like for years, just rock hard for electoral disaster and hmm. not really giving, giving a damn? Like, does he have any emotional connection to what that actually means or or does he have this oh god this weird this weird pathology where you like think that jewish people are like less important and that they're like you know they can be used as political cannon fodder and like maybe their lives are less valuable god you know if only we had a term for that 
<laughs> I can't believe personally that Tom Watson found the time to be involved in all this kind of like internecine conspiracies while at the same time getting his level two gym instructor certification. Push ups and each one he's just thinking about how much he fucking hates Corbin. So basically what the messages suggest is that the staff in Labor HQ, the paid staff, uh decided amongst themselves to show up to work and not do anything for the years that they were there and that Corbin was in power. I wouldn't be surprised if this extends into the Miliband years as well, but this got way more intense uh, with Corbin, where they basically did work to rule. They'd come in, they'd play Dilbert's desktop games for eight hours, and then they'd leave. So this includes, for example, not handling disciplinary complaints that are brought to them or intentionally muddying up the process by receiving and s- receiving complaints and just sitting on them or giving no further action to like mm. I- allegations of like serious anti-Semitism. So- yeah, well, like the, the the worst stuff is the nepotism, right? Like it, inevitably, there's a core group of a couple of sympathetic MPs who uh, like can put in a word for someone or against someone. And this is the most damning thing, the most damning individual thing in here, is when Ken Livingston decided to like go fully mask off reprehensible anti-Semite, and Corbyn is on record in this as wanting him expelled. The report says, quote, By the time a new general secretary, Jenny Formby, took over Party HQ in 2018, there was a backlog of disciplinary cases that had been ongoing often for years with little to no progress and with information on their status and content scattered across different systems and central and regional offices. Some of these were high-profile cases awaiting decision at NEC or NCC level. There was further a hidden backlog of people reported to the GLU for anti-Semitism, which was never dealt with or were mishandled, many of which would be re-reported subsequently or picked up up as was leaving. I love the idea of them just doing like HMRC call center shit. Like you just phone up like, oh, I'd like to talk to the anti-Semitism people. They're like, oh, it's a long way. And then they put you on hold for three hours and the hold music is Limp Biscuits rolling on replay. (laughs) (laughs) No, the the, the fucked thing is that like one of the things that people like on the, like Corbin Partisan said was that Corbin was himself personally a dedicated uh, fighter against anti-Semitism. And that's entirely boring out by the report. There's all of these cases where him or his office have gone to these sort of party bureaucrats with wanting somebody expelled uh, for various acts of anti-Semitism, and it's just been like they've just kind of ignored them. Uh, Nate, I think you had an example about this, right? Well, well, yeah. So, so basically, uh, Ken Livingstone continued to say anti-Semitic things and. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn made a statement and he basically said, I'm going to read two paragraphs of his statement. He said, it's deeply disappointing that despite his long record of standing up to racism, Ken has failed to acknowledge or apologize for the hurt he has caused. Many people are understandably upset that he continued to make offensive remarks, which could open him to further disciplinary action. Since initiating the disciplinary process, I have not interfered with it and respect the independence of the party's disciplinary bodies. But Ken's subsequent comments and actions will now be considered by the National Executive Committee after representations from party members, which is to say, have a new investigation. Um, this led to saying in a chat, got a crazy tale for you. Apparently, Carrie, as is Carrie Murphy, has been telling shadow cabinet members that I've orchestrated the Ken situation so that Ken Livingston makes provocative comments and got his people on a panel to make a soft decision, all in order to embarrass Jeremy Corbyn and create a crisis. Um, basically said that this this is completely untrue. However, it, earlier in 2017, the same people had basically tried to stonewall any additional investigation into Ken Livingstone. And as a quote, said, 
John McDonald wants a statement from you now regarding the process for anything else with Ken. Says we said no. Says standard reactive lines. And later in the chat, says surely Jeremy Corbyn needs to be the driver of Get Ken, which is to suggest that unless Corbyn continued to push for it publicly, they they were not going to do anything further. It's a genius tactic specifically related to Ken Livingston, because obviously there's been an infinite progress like within the Jewish community, I kind of hate that label, but whatever, about, you know, about labor anti-Semitism. But the one thing, the one and only thing that everyone always agrees with is that Ken Livingston needs to be flung into the outer reaches of of deep space and so <laughs> just by just by styming that one case they could do an untold amount of damage and do what you know really is the most efficient thing in terms of undermining support which is not just um you know write him off completely but right but try and so enough enough suspicion and enough doubt that it splits the left um, amongst itself. And I think the the thing to be really, really clear about here is that this is not an exculpation of the Labour Party. Like there are some people, including like Chris Williamson um, and his, you know, his acolytes, who clearly without reading the parts of the report that were personally about them, have been like, yes, total vindication. It was a witch hunt all along. No, what this report is, let's be very clear, um, is a clear demonstration of the many interlocking, overlapping forms of structural and institutional racism within the Labour Party, where classically the misuse of the term and the idea of anti-Semitism is used to mobilise and justify rank Islamophobia and rank anti-blackness uh, amongst staff members. And the, f- the, the fact that anti-Semitism has been so successfully like cleaved off from other forms of, of racism. And the efficacy of that tactic is so, so painfully visible in the way that, it, that people who are appointing themselves the, the czars of anti-Semitism, the czars of anti-anti-Semitism. Wasn't that just the czar? Oh. <laughs> that was just all SARS. <laughs> um, uh, you know, are just are the same ones hounding Diane Abbott, and they see kind of no cognitive dissonance therein. Hmm, interesting that. There's also some uh, just one of the the most extreme cases I think is there was a a a, a Jewish. I would I would just define him as anti-Zionist. He had at times gotten into into arguments in person with members of the Jewish labor movement. There was one instance where he was basically warned for heckling a JLM speaker at an event, um, was suspended and then had a suspended suspension lifted um, for anti-Semitism. But it turned in under investigation. There was like, this is the one instance in which it seems as though uh, the leader's office did intervene because he was uh, a constituent of Corbyn's. And there, he really he hadn't done anything anti-Semitic. I mean, he, through the review, they realized that this had been done in error. But he had been mem- a member of a Facebook page called Palestine Live, but hadn't really been involved in it. Uh, Corbin had been added as an administrator back when you could do that if you wanted to, but Corbin had never interacted with the page at all. Um, however, the person who founded the page, like the, one of the main moderators of the page, um, as I understand it, and this is citing the report, had basically 
uh, shared articles claiming that 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 Jewish people were responsible for eugenics. Shared articles saying that 9-11, ISIS, and the Paris attacks were all done by Mossad. Shared articles saying that the Rothschilds control all banking and media. Uh, sharing articles saying that it's okay to deny the Holocaust. And the, 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 the mad thing about this is the guy who was suspended and then had it lifted had basically had shared some things that you would describe as inelegant, but they were he was sharing a post from Norman Finkelstein, or he was complaining about an article in Haaretz where uh, a member of the Likud party in Israel had claimed that basically that, that Zionism and Ju- Judaism were one and the same. Uh, nothing he had said would meet the guidelines of being anti-Semitic, but he was a very avid Corbyn supporter and had been flagged by a number of people who were making complaints. So he was nearly kicked out of the party permanently, but he was suspended for a while. Meanwhile, this woman that I'm describing, the actual moderator of the page or the creator of the page who had, who had shared very blatantly anti-Semitic things for years, guess when she was finally kicked out of the party? If you, uh, you don't even have to guess the month, guess the year. Was it, was it this year? 20 fucking 20. Yes. Yep. And she, this was flagged in 2017. Jesus. And there are three other people. I, I strongly recommend people read the, 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 the Palestine Live section of the report, even if you don't read the other parts. And you should read the other parts because holy shit, you talk about, like you said, misogyny, racism, Islamophobia, all these things. But specifically, you have examples of people, one person where, he, he, like I said, he might have said some inelegant things, but nothing he said was anti-Semitic. He's also Jewish. He's also the child of Holocaust survivors. He was suspended from the party, whereas people basically going on talking about how Holocaust denial is fine and Mossad did 9-11 were only suspended when it legitimately like passed the 2019 election when they were finally getting through this caseload. Like, the, the 2019 election being, of course, the the deciding moment where we finally settled on the fact that Mossad did not, in fact, do not <laughs> and so could <laughs> the electorate have spoken. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's yeah, it's important here to say right, like anti-Semitism in the Labour Party was was real and it was deeply embedded. The problem is that what this report reveals is that the effort to combat it has been a deeply cynical, uh, a deeply unequal. Uh, deeply sabotaged, deliberately, uh, way of doing that in a way that was calculated to advance these factional goals of not doing even like the mildest social democracy, uh, using using very real uh, bigotry and and hurt and harm as just these kind of pawns in all of these people doing their Malcolm Tucker LARPing. And I think it's probably worth, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'll be really, really quick on this. Um, I think it's probably worth also recognizing that the long-term effect of this has really just like backfired on any sort of real attempt to combat anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Um, also because like all the fucking, uh, what you call it, the conspiracy theories that we had all been told, oh no, it's not happening. This is a conspiracy theory. Like, you know, if you don't want to accept that like under Corbyn, uh, anti-Semitism is not only rife, but encouraged, then you know, you deserve to lose. And then we see this report and it's like, oh fuck that not only were we right, but like the cost of it has been like a complete disenfranchising of leftist activists, many of whom are going to leave the party. And in the meantime, you've done nothing constructive to like combat this like virus in politics generally. Right. Yeah. That's why it's, it's why it's why it's so dangerous is that having been gaslit like this and having it be provable, be verifiable, be in black and white like this, you may as well just become a crank. You may as well just start burning down 5G masts. 
But also, I, I mean, Eleanor, I imagine this has happened to you as well. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not British. Well, I'm a British citizen. Us, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not from from this country, but I can't tell you. I mean, it's, if, if I talk about anything related to the Labour Party on, on Twitter, it is a daily occurrence that I get called a self-hating Jew by people who look like fucking sentient ham sculptures <laughs> every fucking day to me. And that is not and kosher whatsoever. No, not think, at all, I exactly. think calling them sentient is giving them a bit too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> sentient in the way that, like, moss is sentient in, like... Mm. Dense yeah. enough proportions. Uh, but I, imag- I imagine, though, Eleanor, this has happened to you as well, that I have, I've had people say things. I don't know if they're Labour Party members, but they're notionally either Corbyn supporters or self-described socialists. You know, things uh, bringing up Israel for some fucking reason, asking as soon as they find out whether or not I'm Jewish, asking me what I, I think about Palestine and the occupation. That kind of stuff happens. And a lot of that, I feel like, could be combated with better political education. And in some cases, people should be fucking kicked out because this is their drum to beat. They're going to be anti-Semitic. But... I can't describe how often you see this constant wielding of this to silence people, to tell you that you're morally wrong for supporting the Labour Party under Corbyn. And it turns out that the people who were trying to the most to solve the problem apparently was Jeremy Corbyn's leadership team. And the people who didn't want to do anything about it were, as you described, Tom Watson and, and other folks who have appointed themselves these, like, I don't know like moral avatars because apparently they're standing up against you know the true racism when in fact apparently you could be as anti-fucking semitic as you wanted to as long as that was just you were just being anti-semitic and were a member of the labor party you didn't actually get involved with labor left activism yeah i mean like in, in many ways that i don't there are many kind of liminal cases that you see in the report which are like okay clearly this you know this is anti-semitic but i can see how this person might just kind of need educating because there is like a complete dearth of um, education on the history of colonialism and the history of racism in this country, which all of which feed into these conversations. And a lot of um, the language and tools and tropes of anti-Semitism feel purposefully invisible because we are so used to them in many ways. Uh, but you know, so that there is a, a task ahead of us, and yes, it's big, uh, but like it can be done as long as the people in charge of it don't, you know, meet every report of anti-Semitism with yes, excellent, more shit to fling at my opponent because they are totally unserious, total hacks, total charlatans, and have clearly shown their hand by cheerleading on. The possibly the most right wing and far right aligned government that this country has ever seen. And being that we are talking from the British Isles, that is a pretty bloody high bar. Like the idea that these people, you know, ever had any kind of shred of moral integrity is is beyond me. And particularly, particularly galling is this feigned innocence of reporters and lobby journalists who you know a few months ago were fascinated by the internal machinations of the Labour Party and you know uh, salivating over the idea of having the latest scoop of the chaos ravaging the Labour Party uh, now they're like oh, well you know there are bigger things to think about it's like okay if your friends and colleagues have been caught conspiring to piss into the open mouths of pensioners and you have previously evinced curiosity and even support for pissing in the open mouths of pensioners. You can't meet an 850-page dossier about the revelations 
of the depth of pension and mouth pissing amongst your friends and colleagues and go, oh, well, don't know what that's about. Clearly not everyone signed up for the not pissing in mouth strategy. What have we come to? This is this yeah, is not this is not my favorite reaction though. My favorite reaction is on the like let's say more sort of partisan wing of this of the labor right who have just gone straight to uh actually leaking this report is incredibly illegal and everybody named in it has been doxxed to Hamas and white supremacists at the same time and I'll see all of you in court. It's just like, yeah, great, cool. Do you want to like talk about the con? No, absolutely not. Uh, I love to bring up. I love when I've been massively exposed as a gigantic, like, fucking piece of shit crook, and then what I do is bring up the rules in order to exonerate myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the thing that's most galling to me is that a lot, of, like, almost all of the people who like most cynically uh, used this within the Labour Party were not themselves Jewish, knew almost nothing about Judaism. I'm still thinking about the Mary Cray, I think it was Mary Cray, tweet where she talked about the Judas Sabre that uh, Corbyn went to. <laughs> it's still up, by the way. It's still up. I, I used to love Judas Sabre. They had some great shoes. <laughs> but like, yeah, you were absolutely fine as like a subtype of British person. The guy who like has a column and thinks that in a very real way he is more Jewish than a Jewish person because... Uh, I, I really wanted hmm. to bring that up. That, that, and it, it, it ask Eleanor for comments on this too because like I said still trying to understand the depths of the British psyche but this weird phenomenon of British Gentiles cosplaying as Jewish or identifying as like honorary Jews and doing so in this bizarrely kind of patronizing pastiche way where you, I get yelled at for not tweeting enough about Klezmer or fucking I don't know <laughs> attending shul and I'm like okay uh, but you, I don't like None of you are Jewish, and you, ad you admit it's, this. It's that You're Ellie just... Valley drawing of Meghan McCain, that refugee girl it who said such things about us Jews. <laughs> and it turns out that that Ellie Valley drawing was in charge of certain elements of the Labour Party disciplinary process. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I, like, I, I pulled an, an old historical article from Labour List by John Landsman from May 2019. Uh, this goes back to the Ken Livingston thing. He says, whereas Jeremy was criticized over Ken Livingston's never-ending disciplinary process, it was the labor right who appeared to have been responsible for delays to Jeremy's staff who urged that new material be investigated. In another case, the email show it was left-wing momentum supporters, uh, momentum renders, rather, in Labor International who organized a petition and lobbied Ian McNichol to take action and suspend. So I'm just bringing it back on topic here a little bit, but the left was trying to make the Labor Party a less anti-Semitic body. That's what we were trying to do. Hmm. And I, what I want to do is go beyond just the moral argument about this, uh, obviously, like this is, uh, and go to the materialist one, right? Like, what is, what, is, what is the materialist argument for this? Can I just invite everyone to, to reflect for a moment on the fact that, like, that this is what happened when the Labour Party had a left wing and Christian, English, painfully English sometimes leader. Hmm. Can you just imagine what those WhatsApps would have been like under Ed Miliband? Because it took about two days at the, at the absolute maximum for like the collective psyche of everyone from like the right of labor to the absolute cesspits of the far, far right to go from good riddance to anti-Semite Corbyn to <laughs> Ed Miliband's back, look at his big Jew nose. He hates Britain like his Jew dad. And the, yeah, the, 
depth of depravity uh, is uh, well, it's, it's hard it's, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around and genuinely still, quite still laughing my i'm still laughing at the cartoonist after being called out for drawing ed miliband with a, a a massively hooked nose that doesn't look anything like ed miliband's nose posting huge close-up photos of ed miliband saying, look at his nose <laughs> do you see the resistance <laughs> i love producing my phrenological receipts here's the thing that's why that's why i'm saying let's talk about the materialist element of this because like we could talk about the about the sheer sort of infuriating hypocrisy all day. We could talk. We, we, we literally could. Yeah, we can. And believe me, yeah. we're going to. It's eight hundred pages. But what I I really want, Riley. I have to yeah. interrupt you though because I'm sure it's your timeline. You haven't tweeted bagel or strimal ever, <laughs> and I know that report is valid. But you know what? It wasn't released correctly, and dogs can't play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> like what 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 is the material materialist underpinning to decide no? The 90s are forever. We're going to do Tony Blair's policies for the Labour Party, whether the membership and the country and the leadership and many of the MPs want it or not. That sort of asked towards that's asked towards Eleanor a bit because she's corrected me about Marx before. <laughs> Clearly, that stung. That was like two years ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I I really get quite a lot of. You get quite a, an existential thrill out of the fact that that wormed your way into its consciousness. Like, damn. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a real, it was a real black eye for Riley when he confused Carl Groucho and Harpo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think like we are, you know, we're in a time of monsters. Uh, the old is dying, the new is struggling to be born, etc. Read your Gramsci. I haven't, but I'm I'm sure it's great. Um, basically, what we're seeing at the moment is a clash between uh, like different forms of the way in which late capitalism is struggling to adapt to the multiple overlapping crises that fundamentally challenge the way it has been operating over the past certainly forty years, but also you know two hundred years. Um, and that's a challenge of demand, obviously, a climate crisis aging crises uh we have um a, i don't like to call it a migrant crisis because that's very dehumanizing but we've got like unprecedented levels of um like human movement throughout the globe and of course we've got a declining uh profit values of uh, you know much of uh like many large corporations and many smaller corporations are what is referred to in this country as zombie co corporations which is aka they are only really kept alive by um short-term liquidity and debt and soon that debt bubble is going to burst especially if um the government calls back those loans that it's, it's given out to keep people afloat from the coronavirus crisis but what we're looking here and what we're looking at here i think is um yes of course it's materialist um because everything has a materialist explanation because we are good marxists here but um i think there is something kind of that can't there's, there's a lot that can't be explained by simply a materialist understanding of it, because um, a materialist understanding would assume that hegemony adapts to the conditions on the ground, whereas the kind of morbid conditions of centrism are revealed by their singular inability to adapt to the conditions on the ground. They are being um, challenged to evolve or die, essentially. And throughout, <laughs> throughout the world, like, traditional bases of like centrism and you know people who pride themselves on being the stalwarts of 
bureaucratic capitalist realism, the end of history has come, politics is just kind of shifting box A into tab B forever because nothing will need to be changed substantively anymore. Um, those people are getting absolutely bodied, bodied at the, at the polling booths. And realistically, they have no answers to these, um, uh, to these crises. Um, and so I think, yes, of course, we need to um, have a materialist understanding to, to take account of like what that gap is. Um, but part of that needs to be about how the sort of malingering moneyed classes who benefited from the system and who, who, who were appointed or appointed themselves, the stewards and guardians of it, are so psychologically, politically and ideologically inept at adapting because precisely what they were there to do was void all politics of ideological framework. And so it's not really surprising that they have no ideological wiggle room to explain what happens when the world doesn't look like what they expect it to look like, when actually may, people actually maybe like the idea of nationalizing trains and things like that. No, it's, it's really perverse, right? You have to be like, no, we, we do more Iraq war because that's when I personally was happiest and most successful. <laughs> and so that's when everybody else must have those associations. Yeah. Only real 90s kids will remember. Well, one thing's becoming increasingly clear, that uh, the global economy is entering what we call the swin zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, Riley, Riley, you were describing, you know, having a party, a party leadership and a sort of party bureaucracy that's so vehemently opposed to not just the, the left leadership, but legitimately in opposition to policies that pull with, you know, basically plurality across the entire country. You know, like opposed to things that are actually more centrist, if you want to call it that, ideas in terms of policy. It's basically like having a party, you know, that you can join voluntarily and you can vote in elections, but no matter what, you're still on the German wings flight where the guy intentionally crashes it. <laughs> like, well, and it's also it's just this maddening. Like the whole the whole experience has been just completely maddening from start to finish. Like if you support if you support like progressive and anti racist politics, you're somehow an anti semite for reasons which were never fully disclosed. And then now you get to this point where just like the centrists will say things like, "Oh well, you're all maligned Tony Blair, but he got elected," and it's like, yeah. In 1997, things have changed since 1997. Yeah, they've gotten it's they've like, gotten better. Yeah, it's like if fucking, uh, you know, like if we got involved in a fucking war with Germany now, going like, well, you know what we need to do by precedent is produce 400,000 bright red uniforms and Henry Martini rifles. That would <laughs> seem to be the response. <laughs> uh, so I want to I move on a little bit, uh, just conscious of time here, away from sort of handling of internal disciplinary matters. So in 2017, aside from just generally wishing that Labour would lose by-elections and lose elections and lose polling, like all those people, by the way, who were cheering in 2019 when we lost, like Jess Phillips laughing, we know why now. Uh, it's because there were lots yep. of people like that in the party. So um, but what we get to in 2017 is Labour HQ created, once again, a second general election campaign uh, that was hidden from the larger Labour Party. Uh, and what they deep state. Yeah, and what they did was they were diverting money away from targeted marginal seats in 2017, focusing on bolstering right wing allies in safe seats with the intention being lose the 2017 election outright and force a leadership election where they were planning to put Tom Watson to the position of power as leader. So 
Um, hmm. And then you jacked Tom Watson. I have, just, I have some examples. Uh, I, have, I have some examples of this uh, that weren't in the report, but I sort of went to some people in different CLPs and, and found this out. Uh, that Chuck Ramona's Stratum CLP claimed they received far too much money in 2017 for a candidate with a huge majority who ended up leaving the party. Whereas in Plymouth, Luke Pollard, who is you know, at best soft left, but was still too much of a trot for these people, um, he lost by only 500 votes in 2015, but received almost no funding in 2017. And when he asked for some, he was referred to as a lost cause. And he won in 2017 and 19 anyway. What a weird coincidence. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> oh, strange how this keeps happening over and over again. The, the one that really fucks me up is Emma Dent Code, because she was the MP for the constituency in which Grenfell Tower was. Um, and she, she lost a very winnable election, largely because the fucking, the Lib Dems were able to split the vote, right? And, and she lost by the, a very, very narrow margin, and if we watched on election night, one of the things that was so draining was it was clearly so uh, fucking, like, horrible for her personally. And I try not to get too personal in the political, but I really did feel for her. Um, but, like, th that, was, that was a Labour MP in a seat that badly needed a Labour MP. Um, just out of anywhere in the country, and her campaign, we find out, was not just sabotaged by fucking like the likes of Joe Swinson or whoever, but from within like, her running own a Tory. Party. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was sabotaged in 2017 uh. by the internal bureaucracy of the Labour Party, uh, but it, by just again failing to do anything about it. But the yeah. I have a copy here uh, from Novara, in fact. Uh, where, where Emma Dent Code wrote an article. She says, four days, four days after the 2017 election, when the atrocity of the Grenfell Tower fire ripped through my neighborhood, I was finally sent help from McNichols' office, it having been denied to me before. However, it quickly became clear that this was not help that I'd requested, because I needed assistance with my casework team or was struggling to help all those impacted by the fire, but rather someone the general secretary had sent to police me. I had been going out every day, mostly on my own or with a couple of colleagues. There was no, there was no feeling at, at, at all at that time that I was in any kind of danger. However, on day three, while I was addressing a crowd of local people, including a group of very distressed young men, my helper attempted to drag me away, saying, Ian McNichol says you must get out of here. Uh, Ma'am, we have tactically ascertained that you are likely to be the victim of a knockout game style <laughs> attack in the vicinity of this area. You are likely to be the victim like, of receiving ma votes. Ma'am, you're dangerously close to caring. We have yeah. to get yeah. you out of here. So, uh, uh, this, this might be dangerously good press for the Labour Party. Yeah, yeah. He was just worried about her being compromised to a permanent end, and you have to respect <laughs> so, uh, Eleanor, I, I specifically want to throw, throw to this on you a bit, just because, A, this is from Novara, but, you know, also I want your, your comment here, right? Like, uh, even after the 2017 election, it seems as though like Labour HQ was attempting to like make as little hay as possible out of the upset that got Emma Dent Code elected in the first place. I mean, precisely right. Like that is the indicative of the sheer callousness at play. Because we need to be very clear about what this dynamic actually was. Right? This was people who were nominally, very nominally. Um, paid quite a lot of money uh, to put a Labour government in power and paid a lot of money to advance the well-being of the working class writ large. Okay, these people looked at Grenfell, they looked at the climate crisis, they looked at the 
you know, tens of thousands of people who were by that point already dead from austerity. They looked at the uh, Windrush generation crisis. They looked at people uh, banged up and being abused in uh, detention centers. And they were like, you know what? Okay, maybe we have a little twinge of conscience. Maybe, maybe that troubles us at night occasionally. But the big threat is a softly spoken social democrat who, who grows marrows in his spare time. Like, that's the real threat here. And everything else is sacrificable to keep him out and therefore preserve my own career. And that's really what we're talking about here. And when people um, are wrangling over whether or not to stay in the party, I think that's the, that's the emotional core of it a lot of the time, because yes, it's been frustrating. It's frustrating always, right? Like party politics is frustrating and it's long and it's boring and it involves going to a lot of meetings and uh, doing a lot of necessary but very uninspiring work here. But what drew a lot of people to the Corbyn project was a sense of care and a sense of kindness that people felt was completely lacking in politics uh, before and possibly since. And when you look at things like that, how the people of Grenfell were treated, I don't blame people for not wanting to be involved in that party anymore. I'm going to stay because, I mean... I, I sort of vaguely want to um, stick around to see if I can be helpful, um, if that's at all possible. But the kind of cry of grief, not just over um, what could have been, like if we could have um, won the 2017 election, but also for a sense of your place in a project which has an actual vision and has an actual soul. Yeah, God, people are really hurting right now. This this report has done real, real damage to people's to people's sense of possibility and to people's sense of their role in some kind of collective. I, I, I want to jump in for a second because you know, on the topic of Emma Dent Code and Kensington and Chelsea, here are some chat transcripts from the day after the the twenty seventeen election. Uh, the first line says, "We'll have to suck this up. The people have spoken, bastards." Uh, later on in the chat, says, Kensington and Chelsea, I've just woken up and I'm confused by Twitter. Did we gain it? Says, count again at 6 p.m. Says, OMG, that Emma code is a grade one tool. That's their response to winning, if I'm not mistaken, a constituency they'd never Ever. held before. Awesome. Ever. Now, I'm sure they're fine about oh. Canterbury because because the, the MP for Canterbury is a Blairite completely and was on TV insulting her own activists the night before the December election. But hey, look at that. Like, look at that. Somebody who served a counselor who served as a counselor in, in that constituency when it was Tory fucking nightmare forever. Someone who's been in the Labour Party for 35 years finally wins a parliamentary seat. And that's your response. Well, look, it's like I, I hate to do the thing about projection, right? Because it's always hack to say projection. But these are the people like the fucking they like being in permanent opposition because they don't really have to do much. And they can they just get to they get these like six figure sinecures and they can just sort of continue to be vaguely personally important and kind of feel in the middle of things and there you go mm. and that's it in the thick well, of it the thing is will. right you know like uh, you know a grenfell tower maybe a lot of you know working class people and ethnic minority people were burnt to death but the thing you've got to bear in mind is that jeremy corbyn actually engendered like an unpleasant vibe 
And it was a vibe <laughs> that made a lot of like centrist people in the Labour Party feel like a lot less cool and like it enabled them to have a lot less fun with it. And mm. that in a way is worse. Bless him. I think what possibly Jeremy Corbyn, who is fundamentally peaceable and fundamentally kind of a twinkly jam granddad who just wants the best for everyone and just wants us to have nice things. Um, he could have really done with being a bit more of like what the scaremongering tabloids said he was from like 2017 onwards. They were talking about how he was <laughs> so factional and uh, fixated on purging the opposition's office. It's like, God, yeah, that would have been nice if only if he hadn't mm. tried to like placate and work across the aisle as much. Maybe yeah. these fundamentally callous, cruel, incompetent wreckers would have been rightly out of a job years ago. Mm. I would have liked to have seen him call some of these people cunts at least once. <laughs> That's all I ask. Like, I, I, Do you think I, he ever has? I think the main risk here, actually, I, I might, I might be making myself a little bit unpopular with this one. I think the main risk is actually using this report to sort of fully exonerate or eulogize Corbyn because like I think that lack of ruthlessness that you're talking about Eleanor I think ultimately it reflects poorly on Corbyn as a leader right because I never want to let the bad administrator or advisor take the fall for someone who where the buck stops with them the press are already doing it with Dominic Cummings taking the fall for Johnson's herd immunity policy so we can't make this an encomium to Corbyn you know, if 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 was if it wasn't for his naivety, then the 2017 election that was lost because he allowed a, a system to be just to like continue happening. Yeah, well, what did he do with that majority that we gave him? And also, it um it it could have like like not only that, but also a lot of non-white people, which includes Jewish people, like labor members, saw like they saw people posting about like Holocaust denial and stuff, and it went undealt with. And again, it's not because Corbyn's personally a Holocaust denier. It's because he wasn't able to get the gunk out of the system. Hmm. He's just there for the vibe. Yeah. And I think like and I think there's a <laughs> risk. There's a risk. There's a risk of being too of, of forgiving that naivety that ultimately create like, like ultimately like that was that was the problem. I, th I think I think the productive thing here is we, we can appreciate Corbyn, but I think the thing is, we have to draw some lessons from this, and we have to say that whatever form uh, progressive politics in this country takes, it cannot make these mistakes again. It cannot allow this sort of cadre of, of weirdos and freaks and factionalists to ever again hold that kind of influence. No hacks, no bureaucrats, no weirdos. <laughs> yeah. The next, the next leader basically has to be left-wing blade. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think this, this gives us a good place to sort of ask what it all means, right? Because the vast majority mm. of the people talked about in this report, most of them, have already left the party. They've all gone on to, you know, cushy sinecures elsewhere. And with a few exceptions, they're basically beyond disciplinary reach. And even then... Like 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 we were like Ellen yeah. said, there are there are tons more of them. They spent their entire time briefing client journalists like Kevin Schofield, negative internal news about Labour, such as Labour has a backlog of thousands of anti-Semitism cases, which they themselves were sitting on. And like these same journalists or that these same people were briefing to are still working in all the same posts. And so if you if you think this is gonna get talked about in any other way than receiving a dismissal as whining, then you have another fucking thing coming. Nothing this is going to change probably nothing. Maybe a specific appointment to one specific post in the Labour Party will be given to someone with identical beliefs in politics who just didn't happen to be in this WhatsApp mm. group.
What it cool. what it can change though is it can just make you fucking incandescent with rage. That's I think true. That is really that is really the thing to take away from this is that these people are soulless, hollow cunts who want absolutely nothing than the continuation of the status quo that enables them to make a shitload of money and go to fucking dinner parties with their hollowed out cunt journalist friends and do all the hollowed out cunt zone two fucking bullshit right. That they constantly go on about that is all they care about and the only way for the left to win is to quote malcolm tucker their favorite person is to twat the fuckery out of them that is like the only <laughs> thing you can do is just spend the rest of your life calling them cunts 24 hours a day until eventually they crack because they're fucking babies and they can't take it yeah you have to become extremely mad that's phase three right that's season three shit is you're just furious all the time you're in quarantine, you're like wandering your own apartment with your shirt off, just mumbling to yourself, <laughs> just getting angrier and angrier. That's that's the responsible thing to do here. Doing a push up for every WhatsApp message. Yeah. You have two wolves. You have your horniness wolf and you've got your angry wolf, and one of them has to win, and anger is the one that has to win. Exactly. Right. And we're, right. we're about we to head into Ramadan, which is the month of no horny. Mm. And it's oh, just shit. going to yeah, be the anger month. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Anger Ramadan. That's the new that's the new tr- that's the new thing in C- TF season three. Welcome to Anger Ramadan. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I I will be fasting. I will be getting mad and madder and madder, and it's just going to get more and more deranged every time until we're going full true and not. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't wait for Paul Staines to type out the sentence and they're proposing something called anger Ramadan. <laughs> 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 Getting reported to MI6 for extremism. Being like, mm, anger Ramadan, you say. So like, look, should you stay in the party? I don't fucking know. I don't know if I'm going to stay in the yeah. party. What I yeah. do know is that laborism as an ideology, which is the idea that the improvement of the working people of Britain is only possible through the election of the Labour Party in whatever form it is to Parliament, which unfortunately, that's not mm. something I made up. That's a real ideology that's really persistent in this country, is very, very strong. And that's one of the reasons this wretched fucking party hasn't pesachified. But you know, we just have to have more meetings, and then the more meetings that we have, then the more socialism. That's right. Socialism is when you do meetings, and the more meetings you do, the socialister it is. But I don't fucking know if I'm staying. I'm not going to tell you. Which I, is bad, I, because socialism is bad. I'm not going to tell you to stay. Uh, I don't know if any of my uh, my co-hosts or Eleanor wants to wants wants to weigh in on that, but I honestly don't fucking oh, know at this fuck point. Fuck around and do something else. D- do not waste yeah. your do energy. Do, do not something. waste your time. Do not waste your money. The Labour Party does not deserve it. It has absolute contempt for you as an institution. You ab- absolutely. The only thing you owe it is that reciprocity. Tell the Labour Party to go fuck itself right back. Go do tenant organising. Go do union stuff. Go do anything else but this fucking cut join the swp if you have to just i don't that's that's how low my standards are going (laughs) is you is that you can fucking like is you can join them and be like oh i have quite a nice printed sign and never google comrade Mm. delta just so long as you like do not stay in the labor party join the wwe join join any acronym Not ISIS. <laughs> just start joining stuff. Just fuck around. Don't even know what you're joining. Join the Tories. <laughs> Do entryism. Yeah, we're doing entryism on the Tories. <laughs> <laughs> Hell you know, yeah. There is genuinely more 
institutional flexibility there. Genius. It's absolutely fucking genius. We could we could totally take over UKIP. That's totally doable. Fucking Sargon of a card did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're better at that's Twitch the, than that's he the is. New, that's the new TF season three project. We're going to enter into another political party. <laughs> We're gonna we're, we're gonna do entry we're gonna do entryism on the Tories take over the Twitter account and just tweet about Starship Troopers and nothing else. <laughs> watch, a, a, a watch along with new Tory MP Hussein Kasvani. <laughs> uh, uh, for some reason, the, to- the the Tories had this expensively designed logo with the tree and the Union Jack, but for some reason, their membership voted to change it to uh, Jack Goofy. Uh, uh, do you have any final thoughts on whether people should stay in labor? Um, from me we have I don't know from Alice we have fuck off from Eleanor what else should they do uh, uh, you know in your heart there are two wolves the angry wolf and the socialist wolf which one wins the horny one um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I honestly okay I, I genuinely don't know like what I want to do is tell them to go fuck themselves but also mm-hmm. it would very much be like a whelk evaporating in a supernova. Like they don't care. Um, I think I just kind of will continue for now. My passive like one pound a year or whatever my membership is because I'm still on a lower rate. Um, so I can like vote for something occasionally. But what, is, what I was absolutely right about is that like now is the time to pour your energies into other things like tenants organizing and because. Uh, and your austerity organizing, like joining the Conservative like, Party like as the, a bit. Yeah, <laughs> joining, you know, joining the Conservative Party, of course. Just following Dominic Cummings around, making sure yeah. he's okay. <laughs> um, I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's probably not. He's dead. But, um, just just do stuff. Yeah. Just, just fuck stuff. around and do stuff. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to make sense. Just do it. <laughs> just run up and down your stairs. Physically possible. Yeah. <laughs> Get surgery to look like jacked goofy. <laughs> um, yeah. Jeremy Corbyn didn't come out of the Labour left. Um, Jeremy Corbyn was accidentally like thrust into power from total obscurity because he was part of the anti-austerity movement and the anti-war movement, both of which happened outside the Labour Party and had to because the Labour Party was, oh, what's that phrase again? Oh, it's pro-war and pro-poor people dying um, at mm. the time. Yeah. And, you know, maybe A very that electable is- platform. <laughs> Well, Tony Blair did win the election. Yeah. And Corbyn, I, I I don't want to say, I feel like Corbyn was, like, I, I again, we're, we're totally on board with criticising him, but I think he represented the best chance for anything resembling socialism within the Labour Party for at least a generation. And if that wasn't enough, if, if with all of that backdrop, that swell of support behind him, and with a manifesto as good as we had, with policies as good as we had, if that wasn't enough to overcome these calculating fuck freaks, then what what prospect is there within the Labour Party? And my answer is there is none. You should post uh, the picture of the incredibly swole Garfield with that's how it is on this bitch of an earth in somebody's Twitter replies. I don't even care who. You should <laughs> just, just fuck around. Uh, look, I think the that's the last thing about, right? Lessons for the ages. By way of summing up the sum up, right? I think that fundamentally... We as the as the the left in this country has to fundamentally question laborism as an ideology. Uh, I'm 
right? Why? That's like fundamentally questioning the dead pope. Well, hold on. Like, it's I'm going, done. I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Because laborism, it's done conceptually, it's done as a project, but who boy does it have staying power because a lot of people just tick next to labor when they vote. And because we have a first-past-the-post system, that's really very difficult to surmount. And so I think the th- new theme of se- new theme of season three, we're going to try and think about some other things you can do other than be a member of the Labour Party. Because besides, even if we had like John McDonnell as leader or whatever and a Labour HQ that was actually working with the party, we wouldn't have a chance to like turn that into a political outcome for another several years. And as Alice likes to say, we have like, well, I'm looking at my watch to see how many hours of climate mm-hmm. we have left. Like, <laughs> we've we've squandered one on doing this instead of yes. like uh, learning how to farm beets. Yes, la- la- the laborism as an ideology has stolen a year of our climate that we had. Um, so yep. stay a member if you want to. Cert- probably vote for them if they don't if they don't suck later. If there's a better option, certainly vote for that. But really, we have to expand our horizons beyond just well, politics is voting and voting is politics because that's the ideology that people want you to fucking have, and you really should not have it yeah do not do not fall for this party which only exists as a fly trap for anyone in politics with any kind of principles in this country if you have any like goodness or decency or any kind of sense of morality of course you would be drawn to the labor party because it allows some room for those in like a party political system where everything else is total brutality or like sneering plastic bag tax fuckery so yeah of of course you would i can i see the appeal but you have to let that go it's gone now uh it's it's not coming back there's, we have, like I say, however many years of climate left, probably not a lot, however many years of democracy left, that's also going to be very fun. And it's just, it's just a trap. It is a trap and you, you can do so much more valuable things for society than electoral organizing for the Labour Party. Oh God. Do, Whereas, do, do not bother. Do not waste in your the time. Milo faction of the listenership can join me in joining the Swin Zone <laughs> and uh, re- <laughs> reopening the FBP campaign. <laughs> the Swin Zone, sa- the FBP like Sandinistas. <laughs> I think that's about all the time we have for today. Uh, I want to say, Eleanor, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been always a delight to talk to you as our now most frequent guest. Yes, I am the king. <laughs> the king of shitposting mm. and wasting the climate time that we have left. Uh, TikTok, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I also want to yeah. thank you, the listener, for listening to this episode of Trash Future, that podcast. And on Thursday at 8 p.m., on our Twitch stream, twitch.tv slash trashfuturepodcast, we will be debating the motion, this house believes a second jog a day is worth the apocalypse. So do log on for that. <laughs> it's going to be um, myself reprising my role as speaker, Hussein in the position of government, Milo in the position of opposition, having lost the previous debate, uh, with a litany of special guests, including Zan Van Tulliken, Josie Long, uh, Olga Koch, and our very own Alice uh, Caldwell Kelly. What's up? Yes. Uh, so, in fact, you know what? Vote in our debate for which side wins this ridiculous uh, resolution, because that's more meaningful than a vote for the Labour Party right now. Absolutely <laughs> that's, true. That's the only electoralism that matters. Uh, sec- Unless one of us like emails like our WhatsApp chats to our <laughs> work email, in which case you'll see like a lot of stuff about like bussies. Yeah. Uh, mm. 
and various anime messages. In the, in the last episode, we spoke to Wendy Liu, whose book Abolish Silicon Valley is out now. Uh, so I, I promised I would plug it on this show. So I am doing that. Get Wendy Liu's book. Buy the book. Uh, mm, buy the otherwise, book. you know, we got t-shirts. Uh, it's a, a very cool yeah. design by buy Matt Lachansky. And we've got the Patreon. You can subscribe to it five bucks a month. You know what it is. Yeah, uh, I th- theme song is "Here We Go" by Ginseng. It's hey, very good. Listen to it early. Listen hey, to it often. Hey, you know what this theme song should be? Ah, uh. let's get a little D Ream in the house. Oh fuck <laughs> oh, yeah! Let's do that. Yo, let's find out the D Ryan Cox. Do you know that if you go out into the into the depths of space, you can actually still hear Luke Aitkust moaning about how no one likes him? <laughs> all right, uh, that's all. Things can only get better from here. I'm pretty sure of it. See you all next time. I know that